Welcome to New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in relationships, grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in our study of parables in the Gospel of Luke. These are stories Jesus used to apply the Gospel truths to the lives of Christians. So we ask you subscribe, join in, so that you don't miss a single Sunday. As we continue in Luke 12, uh, looking at the parables in Luke, um, we're not catching all of Christ's teaching, but we're catching those, those I guess, sometimes allegories, uh, sometimes metaphors and things that, that are really stressing a point of teaching. And it might be said that if we were to as we look through these, I'm beginning to notice uh, a, a pattern, a sort of a path of, of teaching. And, and I think we could say that Christ is and has been always teaching to a pointed end. Pertaining to us, this has to do with, with our relationship and especially our relationship to his return or that, that coming where both judgment and redemption occur. And I want us to remember, like we've been talking about, the gospel's relational, but we're also left with a decision at the end of these whenever he gives us these sort of categorical relationships, it's good for us to sort of align ourselves with one and distance ourselves from the other. A lot of times we see that dichotomy. And, and so this morning we're going to find this parable in Luke 35 through 48 to be somewhat more direct talking about his second coming. So this is very end of times related. Um, but I want us to see as we read through this passage that his concern, Jesus' concern wasn't with, in this passage, was not with those events that surrounded his coming. It was with how we would relate to him in his coming. And so, those relationships that he's returning to. And so, you're welcome to stand with us as we honor the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 12. And I'm going to begin in verse 35 and just read all the way through verse 48. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. 
Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make rule over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of that truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maidens and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him in the hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes." But he that knew not and did not commit things worthy of and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just admitting we are not prepared for this. And so, Father, it is going to take a special grace and a work of the Spirit to temper our hearts as we look upon ourselves, as we judge ourselves according to your word, that we might be made more into the image of Christ, that we would be ones who are ready, as explained in this parable, Father, that you would just help us to work through this, to find the ways in which we see ourselves, to find the ways in which you are calling us to greater faithfulness. And Father, that you would equip us for this message as we would take it to those around us in our families, to our children, and to our friends and to our families. Father, we just ask that you would mold us and use us and prepare us this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So this is a bit of a daunting parable, but we've got someone who's waiting, I don't know if you've had a doctor's appointment or for me, if you've ever had to go in early one afternoon on the night shift or something, it just messes everything up. And you're stuck there waiting. You don't have the time to really get into anything. Um, so you sit there, you get ready, and you find yourself checking the clock, seeing when, when is that time to go, I think that level of waiting, that, that anticipation, is a little bit of what Jesus is touching on, except stressing the eternal magnitude of this, this topic. 
and how it is that we'll relate, how we'll be prepared for eternity. And so like usual, uh, Jesus gives us this sort of either or, these two options, the one who's ready, the one who is not ready. And so if you're following our outline, those are basically our options. And, the, and he characterizes them in a number of ways. And so I think that's the way that we should study this text. And so right out of the gate, I think that, and remember, I, I do want us to follow. This is actually one of the few times where we haven't really skipped much. We're picking up just about where we left off last week, uh, remembering uh, you know, treasure, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus is building on all of this teaching about treasuring in Christ and viewing the eternity, and he's moving into this parable of readiness. And so he, he begins, let your loins be girded and your lights burning. Well, the only way, sometimes we don't often understand some of the language or things and we could dive into what their dress was like and what that means. And the best and the best sort of picture that I can think of, because we read that a lot, you know, gird up thy loins. And we're like, yeah, what does that mean? And the best I can think of is, is like the competitive runner. Even kids do this. We're getting ready for a foot race and, and they're ready. They're going to hike up the shorts to free their legs for movement. And I was presented with an even better analogy. This maybe is not all too glorifying. But um, Rachel, she was cleaning the house this morning, just running around doing chores as she is always about doing. And, and you may have noticed she's wearing a skirt. Well, she'll take that skirt and sweep it up and tuck it in right here. And she's got her loins girded. She's, she knows how to get her work done. Um, so that's probably a better analogy but uh, not an analogy, a better picture. But this really goes further. Jesus says, let your loins be girded about. You're ready to do work or to do something. You're ready for what's fixing to happen. And your light's burning. And so there's a bit more of preparation that's involved, even for the runner, if we even use that athletic analogy, which I don't think is, is, is the full power of this parable or analogy. We know there's preparation. It's going to take more than girding up my loins if I want to enter a foot race with almost anybody right now. Uh, so there's preparation. There's some conditioning that takes place. But let your lights be burning is, is pretty simple. I think that's something that we really understand uh, even in our day. We know if you've been... Uh, Maybe you visited someone late at night or maybe you were traveling to some family or, or something like that. We know if they're expecting us or if they're open for our visit, if the lights are on. We certainly don't uh, advise or condone or feel comfortable when the house is dark. If the lamps aren't on, we may... Now, now we're back to the parable of the guy knocking in the middle of the night annoying his neighbor, Right? That's not this parable. We know, leave your lights on. Be ready. So it's a, a completely different um, analogy that he's using here. So then we as Christians, we make preparations. We keep ourselves ready. The lights are on. We are waiting, uh, which I'm jumping ahead of myself, 
but we're ready. We're equipped for a visit so that when someone comes in, we are ready to receive them. It is not an ordeal to fall out of bed, throw clothes on, see who's out there, turn the lights on, whatever else, get the dogs in. Um, we're ready. And so this means in our readiness of dress, I don't care if it is, if we are talking about clothes, we may as well go there. I think we need to be ready in every way. Having our loins girded, we need to be prepared. This is a preparedness for his return. Our dress, our action, ready to receive the coming Lord. And I want to, I kind of want to emphasize that we keep ourselves in readiness. We keep ourselves in readiness for the coming Lord. This is perpetual. I did not say we need to get ready. We need to keep ourselves ready. If the Lord come back right now, this instant, in what condition would he find us? I mean, can we honestly say as a church that our loins are guarded, that we're poised for kingdom action? Are our lights on? Have we been expecting this moment? The lights were on when you come in here. Who was it that turned those on? We made ready for you. It's expectantly waiting. Let's, let's dig in a little deeper. What would he find? In your thoughts? your responses, your search history on, on internet, your service in the church, your leadership in your home, or, or if your budget were revealed in its place now, not, not how you would like things to be, where your finances are right now. And imagine if all of these were ready if you if these preparations were made how would the lord be able to receive you with gladness so that person's ready this servant he's talking about but secondly the ready servant he or she is expectantly expectantly waiting they're waiting the illustration is is that the master doesn't open his own door he says in this passage, so that he comes and when he knocks, he may open the door immediately. So we're ready. They haven't, this isn't the person who's found something else to pass the time, who says, well, I have time yet, and they sit down uh, to watch the TV or to, to get involved in something. We don't do that. We know we've got to head out the door here very soon, and so we wait and we are ready to go. We don't invest ourselves in any other thing. We're ready. This isn't that lazy servant who feels something else uh, to pass the time. He positions himself at the door waiting on his master so that he may open immediately. When they come to the door, it opens. Barely time to knock. That is the sort of watchfulness and waiting. 
And we've got to realize we can't really fully rest on our own understanding. We do that when we watch or wait for someone or the kids to come in or something else. We, we have that sort of expectancy as we watch the door or, or look out you know, toward the driveway. But in this parable, it's, we're not the master of the house. We're in, a, we're in a borrowed dwelling. This servant, and I think this is fitting, and I would argue we're all in a borrowed dwelling. And so when the master comes home, we need to be ready to welcome him into what is his. I think that's a biblical, uh, a biblical example all the way around. Are you ready to open the door immediately? And see, this is where I see, so now not whenever I'm expecting someone as the master of the house, as I am where I live, but, but I can see this whenever we give our kids the task of cleaning their room. Um, this is one, boys, y'all need to listen up because this is actually really pertinent for you guys. Uh, but we give them the task of cleaning their room as we have a number of times. And whenever I walk back there and, and give the door a knock, Hey guys, y'all clean that room? Whenever I hear, uh, just a minute, I know uh, I already have my answer. They are not ready. Um, sadly, they're still not ready um, with their room clean. But that's another, another sermon that needs to take place at my house. So at the same time, we know the, 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 the Christian does not keep their master waiting. There is no just a minute. We don't say, I have these things to get, get in order or, or sometimes hear the mantra you know, for Christians who say, well, you gotta get right with the man. No, no, there isn't. We need to be in good standing as we abide in Christ, uh, in his word. And, and frankly, Every moment that the Lord tarries then becomes a matter of grace. And that every moment is yet another day that we have to prepare and to make ready and to just situate things in order um, awaiting his arrival. I think of, of feasts and everything else. We have those family get-togethers. It doesn't matter if the house has been cleaned and looked over. We come and fluff pillows. We're ready for the one who's coming. And so we are expectantly waiting and watching at the door. So this person's ready. Their loins are girded. They are watching and waiting. So they immediately open the door. And then this servant perseveres. Now this is important. I think it's, it's very pertinent for us. If we look at verse 38... And if he shall come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them, blessed are those servants. They persevere. Now this, Jesus takes this to a whole new level because we all know how to prepare our house. We all know the provisions that we need to make. We all know the messes that we need to clean up. We all know how to so situate ourselves. But now he adds an entirely new, a more difficult dynamic. And he says, what if I come in the second watch and the third watch? Um, those are, now we're talking shift work. It's a little bit more my language. Um, that's what we call the wee hours of the night. 
but they're the one who perseveres, who puts off and forsakes their fatigue and, and whatever else is going on. And it, this may be something you've experienced. I don't know uh, if you've traveled by night or something to go see family. We've done this. Sometimes it's helpful having kids. We've traveled during the nighttime. They can sleep. We travel during the night. And, but then whenever we've gotten to our destination, that light's on and granddaddy's out there waiting or something. They're expecting us. Maybe you've had some kids that you've waited up late for. It doesn't matter what happened. You have been diligent. It didn't matter. If it took on turning on TV or reading a book you didn't like or putting on a pot of coffee when you knew it wasn't going to be good for you in the morning, you did whatever it took. You put that off in order to persevere. That's not something that is normal in their life. It's not something that should characterize uh, just the way we live. I mean, God grants us rest and everything. I think we should sleep. But the bottom line is, is when they're waiting, when they're expectantly watching, they persevere. And you do whatever it takes. That's that sort of watchfulness. That's that perseverance that Christ is pressing upon us. It's, and and it's, it's clearly on the occasion that that person waits. And we have a greater occasion, I assure you, to be watching and waiting, to be ready and alert uh, at all hours. Rest comes on his arrival. So then he continues teaching. Jesus spoke, and there's more that could be said, much more that could be said about the one who's ready. He even, whenever Peter says, hey, who, who are you talking to? Is this kind of an apostle thing or is this a, a church thing? All these people that you're talking to, and he explains wonderful things in which, in which he turns over the rule of his entire household. We see almost like a picture of what John uh went through, or Joseph, my goodness, Joseph went through with his coat of many colors in Egypt when he turned over his whole house. He was a faithful servant. And, and so much blessing, much more that can be said, and, and, and much more that we will touch on. But whenever he's asked by Peter, hey, explain this to us. Help to apply this message you're telling us, Jesus. And he, and he assures them of blessing. There's no question but then, then he comes in again and he brings something else that really wasn't illustrated in the first telling of this parable. He says in verse 45, and if that certain says in his heart, Lord delays in his coming. He beats men servants and maid servants. He eats and drinks and is drunk. And before we jump into this, I want us to, to realize that Jesus is talking to his, his listeners, these followers. He's talking to his apostles. So we need to just get right out of the habit of pointing and saying, that is someone else. I know someone like that. And we need to really be careful to see that we're not in this category. And I'm going to try to pick up speed a little bit. We see this servant beats the men servants and maid servants. What is it that, that characterizes this person? First, this servant wants no accountability. None. Regardless, it's irre irrelevant 
on whether or not these servants are equals or if they are someone under the care of this other servant, it really, frankly, does not matter. The bottom line is, is this person is breaking down any present mode of accountability. He wants to destroy any witness left against him in his master's coming. So not only has he been neglectful of his master's coming, but he has sought to tear down any level of accountability. Anything that calls him out and says, we need to make ready for the master. And so he tears it down. And I just want to say, this is terribly popular among professing Christians today. We hear, and I hear this, they say, my misdeeds don't matter as they just continue to heap up sins upon Christ. They say, am I not free to my Father's blessing? And yet they take all the provision of the Lord and they squander it, um, just forsaking His patience and provision. And we, we know the grace of God to be true. Uh, we've seen it in the other parables. We see it in this parable. I mean... For that matter, uh, even here, he, he comes and serves us. He arrives and yet he serves us. But this, par this parable, this servant in this parable that Jesus is talking about is presuming upon the grace of God with little expectation of his return. Uh, maybe, maybe you know someone like this. And I hope this isn't true of you. They say, well, this, you know, we're not experiencing God's judgment. Or they say, don't judge me. Or they say, my God does not judge. I don't know if you've ever heard that one before. And the one thing about this, now regardless of what it is, Christ is clearly talking about a coming judgment. So the judgment will come. And it doesn't matter how we frame that. And I'm not going to argue for the, how biblical or unbiblical each one of those statements are. What I'm going to say is, is the, the sheer prevalence of those comments in their every form do nothing but communicate the cold resentment of his coming and the justice that he will issue when he returns. We resent judgment. It is a bad word in the church. That's a problem. This is the person Paul speaks of theoretically in Romans 6.1 when he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's that person. That's the one who says, oh, I'm saved by the grace of God and they live like the devil. This is antinomianism, the old time heresy that, that breeds lawlessness and it, frankly it has no part in the kingdom, not according to this passage. So they, want, they don't want accountability, but this person behaves badly. Not only are they inconsiderate, selfish, and hateful, but they're sinfully indulgent. They've counted themselves safe, whether by circumstance, otherwise. But in the master's house, they've become drunk, even on his, on his wine. And sometimes this is whenever the person they come, and this is, sort of plays off of that accountability you know, these other servants, the one who has actually been transformed, who has seen a work of sanctification and been, and been grown uh, in the spirit and in holiness, well, to this servant, those people are legalists. Surely it doesn't matter what you do. I'm saved by grace. It doesn't matter. My sin doesn't matter. We have to be careful on how we are... We're using that. We certainly don't want to fall into this satanic 
trap. The child of God does not say these things. They're not one to refuse to read God's word, to seek him, to know him, to know his will for our lives. And the last thing Christ says about this servant is that he's gonna be punished. When we look at verse 46 or beginning there, the Lord of that servant will come in a time he knows not and will cut him in sunder. He will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And in verse 47, he shall be beaten with many stripes, a threefold punishment. We don't have to do a whole lot to decipher those. We don't have to divide that out. We don't, uh, or, or allude that to something specific. The reality is, is what's left? What, what hope can possibly be left for the one who does not look to his master's coming and fails to be prepared for him? That person has no portion in his household. We know God's love. N not that he's loving according to your fallen standard or definition. God is the definition of love. And I want to remind you, that's here in this passage as well. Christ has not neglected that. If we read there and says the one who comes and opens the door, that he'll meet him and serve him. Or he'll, yeah, he'll meet him and make them to sit down, verse 37, to meet and will come forth and serve them. And then later in verse 42 through 40. For he'll make him ruler over all he has. Well, later in, in Luke chapter 17, we're actually told the other way. It says, which of you has a servant comes in from work in the field and says, sit down and eat meat? Instead, you say, go and fetch me something to eat and drink. They are the servant. They only did their due diligence. They are a servant. And yet, in this parable, Christ says the one who is this watchful the one who is waiting upon him, who's always preparing themselves, thinking, when is it that he will return? I'm ready, I'm waiting upon him. And says, oh, but I will return as the master, I will serve you. Not just this, but I will point to you all that is in my house. I will grant you an inheritance that is mine. And so we just need to close up with a few comments. And the last and final point is just the reality Jesus will return. Amen. My goodness, everything, the way that we are talking about some of our current events, the way that we discuss uh, church and make plans, sometimes I think we forget that Jesus is going to return. And, and I'm not saying it's, it's certainly important to look look far out and have a vision and to see where we want to go and how we want to invest of ourselves in the mission of God. At the same time, we've got to, to know this reality as we prepare as a church. And there are a few things that, that Jesus points to if we go just beyond our passage. From what we read together, we see a number of things that aren't so, don't make us feel so warm and fuzzy inside. First, there's judgment. We already read in verse 47 and 8 that uh, the, of the, the many stripes and the things that's going to happen, we must realize there is a judgment that we're judged according to our works. You know, thankfully, our sins paid in Jesus Christ, but there is a judgment, and there's a reality of judgment for this entire world.
And so it's the, the most unloving thing we could do is be silent or lazy in, in evangelism and discipleship and missions within our homes and communities. And so we do well to take an inventory of ourselves at this point. There's going to be distress as Jesus continued in his teaching. And this is where we haven't read. So I ask you to maybe look at verse 49. I'm come to send fire on the earth. And, and what will I if it already be kindled? But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how I am straightened or how I am distressed until it be accomplished. You see, it's not that Jesus or God is, is, is casting down some sort of distress upon us, but this is a reality in which he participates and endures on our behalf. I mean, there, there is distress involved in this. And lastly, there is division. This passage, look to verse 51 through 53. You suppose that I've come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house, divided, three against two, and two against three. Father divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There will be division. Now something like this really would be benefited by, by a much more reflection but understand the division, the dividing line is not whether or not you agree with me or whether I agree with you or someone else agrees with you or your theological stance. This point of division, remember what we've just read through. Jesus has talked about this, this servant, the one who's prepared, the one who's not prepared, the treasure, the blessing that comes in Christ, the judgment and all this in Christ. So, so I think it's safe to say this separ separating line is between the one who wasted their time like the drunken and abusive servant and the ones who faithfully make ready. I think it's fair. Those who seek to do the will of God and those who have become slack and spend their time entertained by the world. We're going to see divisions in our community, in the workplace. We're going to see the divisions in the church. Sadly, we could see divisions in this church. You could see divisions within your family. You could see divisions even within your own home. I'm reminded of a story by John Bunyan the Pilgrim's Progress. It's one we read a children's version just recently with our kids telling the, it's an allegorical story of a man named Christian on his having to go through this journey to the celestial city alone. Too often, people struggle with this. I can't number for you the, the number of people who have struggled with division um, in making ready for the coming of Christ. Because too often I see Christians, when they come to deal with this division, it just happens, it just happens. And the way they deal with it is by forsaking their preparations in order to keep peace with the abusive servant. 
the only peace, the only unity we're going to have is that which he gives on his return. It's going to come in unity of Christ in his word. That is where we need to be invested. This requires, and it's been so much of my conversation, it requires not great freedom. Our discussion doesn't need to surround, be surrounded with and filled with just simply what is our freedoms in Christ. This level of preparation that Jesus is talking about here in this instance, it's going to require focus and discipline and study and practice and love and compassion and repentance and perseverance. It's going to take help from the Holy Spirit himself. And so we need to be committed to a strict observance of all he has appointed in his word so that we individually as a church are prepared for his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can see how you have blessed us. Father, there's a an assumption already out of this is Christ is teaching his apostles that, that he's speaking to servants within his household. And Father, we thank you for we recognize the blessing that we have, the way that we do have freedoms and we get to enjoy and steward these many belongings of yours. Father, we think not just of our of our worldly possessions. Lord, we think of our relationships. We think of our children. We think of those closest to us, our closest friends and our co-workers, those in our own community. Father, that we would steward these things well because we realize that we, we cannot make preparations for your coming, not alone. And yet we continue to thank you because you have surrounded us with other faithful servants. Lord, that we would be counted faithful. That we wouldn't be the ones that were slack or abusive to others. But that we would be compassionate looking always to what it is that glorifies you upon your return. Father, that we wouldn't relent to those who seek to gratify themselves, but Lord, that we would be diligent even in the face of these counterfeit servants. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Indeed, you haven't left us by ourselves or with some extravagant to-do list, but you have said, I send a helper Father, you have suffered the burden of our sin in Christ. You have sent us your very spirit to dwell within us. You've sent us the fellowship within the body of the church. And Father, you give us your word and promise of blessing unimaginable. Lord, that you would Ready us, ready our hearts, ready our homes, ready this church for your coming that we wouldn't spend a day forgetting or preparing for your return. And Father, we know that you are not slow to exercise your will, but gracious in forbearance 
that each of us here might, might slow down and look to the heavens and prepare for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. Our goal is to help you and equip you to serve in the way God is calling you. This is where we grow in relationships, we grow in discipleship, and we grow together in Jesus Christ. We hope that you continue to tune in and to subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday.